Well, good morning. We are continuing uh, our series on, on Hebrews. We've been walking through for a number of weeks now that this great sermon um, by a pastor to, to a group of people uh, who had um, put their faith in, in King Jesus. And really, and now in walking in step with this king, and walking out of step with their, with their culture, very much uh, aliens and, and, and strangers in their land. If we think back now to, to the very opening line of his sermon to this people, he, he opened up and he said, well, in, in many times and, and in many ways, God has spoken to his people. He left it there. And now he's coming back. I mean, I wonder, have you, have you thought, how, how did those people respond when God spoke to them? He's coming back to that now. What did these, uh, these people do? And in chapter 11, there's this great chapter one we're probably very familiar with. It's uh, got some memorable quotes that we can probably remember, may have memorized. He comes back and he gives this great encouragement of these incredible people of the faith. A real roll call of ancestors throughout history. How did they respond to this God who spoke to them? It's quite the list. It's kind of a, remember the show Ripley's Believe It or Not? I looked at this and think, my goodness. Talk about walking out of step with your culture. Odd things that God would call them to do, and what that must have looked like. It's just have, 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 a, have a think with me as we, as we touch on some of this list. There's a man named Noah. Picture him. There he is, no water in sight. Starts constructing an ark. Noah, what are you doing? Building an ark for my family and to, to put some animals in to, to save from the coming flood. There's, there's no water. There's no flood. Now, are you still building that ark? Why don't you join us in doing this? Whispers behind his back. Out of step with his culture and in step with the Lord. I thought about Abram, the man from a well off family in, in Ur and. Uh, it's called to leave. To leave his security and his family. Well, you think about the anxieties that we have around security these days. We live with it, don't we? The anxieties of life. Imagine how much more anxious life must have been then. The threat of death and um, provision and such things. And there's Abram called out to leave this um, wealth of family and security and to go out at the call of God and to uh, who knows where? Imagine what people might have said about him as he walked out of step with his culture, but in step with God. Picture Sarah, well past the age of, of childbearing. So what are you doing? I'm off going shopping for maternity clothes with my friends. Imagine the looks, the wonderment. The same man, Abram, from earlier, prepared now to, to give up his son, the son of promise, through whom the blessings 
were going to come. He left everything for some blessings, and they were to come through the Son, and now called to sacrifice Him. Heading up to Moriah, trusting this God of resurrection and walking in faithful obedience. Could you imagine what people must have thought? A husband and wife engaging in civil disobedience, defying the king's edict because they recognized the beauty of their child and the sanctity of his life. And then that same child, Moses, now grown up and prepared to give up a life of comfort and power in the palace and instead choosing to be counted with the slaves and join in their life of mistreatment at the hands of the powerful. You had a group of people killing lambs and, and painting door frames with the blood, believing God when he said that it would save their sons from being killed. That's out of step with the culture as they walk in step with God. An army engaging in war by walking around a city's walls seven times while blowing trumpets because that's what God told them to do. Daniel giving up security and privilege and instead being thrown in a lion's den. And his friends refusing to bow down to the cultural idol and being thrown into a fiery furnace. And others is the preacher reminds us being sawn in half, mocked, flogged, stoned, and killed, exiled to live in the wilderness in the caves of the earth. Many times and in many ways God spoke to his people. For some of them as they responded, it, it led to, to triumph but for others to torture and trial. And now this preacher speaking to this people within faith, themselves, facing persecution and suffering, and probably are wondering, we are so out of step with our culture. We feel like aliens and exiles in our own land. This preacher looks at them and says, let's look at how our ancestors responded. You wonder when you think about those people. One thing that strikes me, I mean, it's fair. We look back at them now. They're, they're in, in the Bible. They're in Hebrews, this great list of heroes of the faith. They were amazing people, and we look at them in that light, and it's, it, it's true. It's fantastic. We look at their examples, but it was very clear in Scripture is their ordinariness. They weren't the ones that we would have expected God to use. That's what sets them, it makes it so amazing. God using ordinary people. So when we look at these ordinary people listening to God, what is it that enables them to do extraordinary things in the face of suffering and persecution? What's the secret source at work here? And you know the answer. You know exactly what's coming because the preacher could not have been more obvious, more clear about what the secret source was. What drove them to obey God when he spoke to walk in step with God's purposes and out of step in their culture. He says that it's by faith, 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 by faith. He says it's by faith. 
by faith, 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 by faith. Give you one guess. By faith. And five other derivatives of that word. When God spoke to his people in various ways at various times, how did the people respond? They responded by faith. It's a great Christian word, isn't it? By faith. Faith was getting up this morning, getting in your car on Red Sox Day, Marathon Day, thinking you're going to get a car park. Congratulations, well done. You are exemplary. Faith, though, we take a look. He starts off this passage, chapter 11, uh, with, what is faith? Faith is the assurance of what is hoped for and the conviction of what isn't seen. The assurance of what is hoped for and the conviction of what's not seen. It's interesting when the the preacher uh, names faith as the assurance of things hoped for, it's describing when you think about what, what faith has. It already possesses in the present what God's promised for the future. This possession, what we have, so it's, it's part inward reality and part an outward force. I want to unpack that just a little bit. Part inward reality, part outward force. So inwardly, people of faith have a confidence today, here and now, when all hell is breaking loose around us, confidence that the promises of God for peace, for justice, for mercy and salvation can be trusted. Faith in this inward sense is then a response to the trustworthiness of God. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's not just an inward confidence. It's also an outward actuality. The word translated uh, assurance in this verse, hypostasis, is the word that the preacher used in chapter 1, verse 3, to describe how the Son is the expression of God's hypostasis, God's very being. And so in other words, faith is the very being of God's promises. It's more than the inner confidence that the powers of the world that destroy life will be overcome and that God's promises will be fulfilled someday. It's the reality of these promises moving as an advance force now. Christians then, we have a faith that's an inward assurance, but Christians also embody faith as an outward manifestation in the old world of that revolutionary presence of the world and that kingdom to come. We hold these two parts together. Faith as that inward reality is the inward reality that allows us to sing, we shall overcome. 
And yet faith is an external reality. It marches at Selma. And it stands opposed to injustice and tyranny and oppression. Faith is an, is an inward assurance that trusts God's promises that mourning and crying and pain will be no more. That faith is an outward reality, prays boldly for those who mourn, serves tenderly those who weep, and works tirelessly to ease the pain of those who are wounded. Inwardly, faith moves hearts, but outwardly, faith moves mountains. Consider Rahab. Rahab, one of the examples that the, the preacher uses. It's, it's her proactive faith that distinguished her from her townspeople. In the Old Testament book of Joshua, in chapter 2, Rahab describes the fear that overwhelmed her people in hearing of the works of Israel's God and realizing their own doom. But they did nothing in response. Rahab's fellow citizens, they knew of and feared Yahweh, but their knowledge, no matter how theologically correct, didn't save them. It's Rahab's actions that set her apart as the only one of her people who truly knows and believes in the God of heaven above and of the earth below. And the author of Hebrews says that it was because of her act in receiving the spies that she was not killed, a receiving that derived from and demonstrated her faith. It's interesting, in, in the book of James, one of the other great New Testament discourses on faith, one of the longest ones, he goes to Rahab and Abraham as well. And he, looks, he, he makes that same point. He talks about the, uh, the demons, even they know that Jesus is Lord. They have the same doctrinal knowledge, but it's Rahab that then acts and puts her faith in that. And... As James is clear, so is the author of Hebrews, that a faith without deeds is dead. Then think about it. What is, what is this knowledge of something without it changing anything, stepping out, the inward and the external? I want to tell you that faith without deeds, I mean, that, that's a recipe book without food. Faith without dead, it's like a set of Lego instructions, but without any blocks. Faith without deeds, it's, it's like beautiful lyrics, but without the melody or the music or the song. Faith without deeds is, is dead. And we think about this whole list, these people who walked out of step with their culture and in step with God and His kingdom. Let's think about just four aspects that that involved. Firstly, they leave behind their past, called out of what they once were. Secondly, they are called to sacrifice in the present. Thirdly, they, they pursue the promise of the future of God's kingdom, regardless of how different it was from the things the culture pursued. 
And lastly, we're told here that they seek the commendation from God and not from people. And in verse 6, the author says, look, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's where the commendation comes from. It's interesting, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our ancestors, but in these last days, he has spoken most fully through his son, Jesus Christ. We believe that God is speaking to us today. God is speaking to you this morning. God is speaking to me this morning. How will we respond? We get it even better than those people had it. These incredible people that we look up to and admire ordinary people like you and me. The faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence in what is not seen. How much greater our hope? Let's go back and think about the earlier part of this sermon. At the start in, in Hebrews uh, 2, verse uh, 8, he's talking about Jesus, this one, this, this very being of God, the one who shows us the Father. He's saying that he is the king, and in verse 8, it's one day that he's putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, when putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Saying, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We're in the season of Easter. Just a couple of weeks ago, we stood up and we proclaimed, The Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. The grave is empty. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The great enemies of sin and death have been destroyed. And Jesus, the one who was rejected, has been vindicated as the one he said he was, the true king. The one who in one day everything will be subject to him. The world is not yet as it was intended to be. But in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we have assurance of this hope that Jesus is on the throne. And this whole sermon he's been expositing and telling us about this one who is better than other good things, this greater one, the one who has adopted us as sons and daughters, the one in whom is this great high priest who took away our shame and our sin, who created a way for us to enter into the presence of God, who brought about the promises of the new covenant, God's presence with us. And we look and we see Jesus is king. All things one day will be in subjection to him. How much does that strengthen our hope and therefore our faith this Eastertide? We think just before this passage as well, in chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 24 and 5, he says, look, in light of this reality of King Jesus living for him, he says, look, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
the day where we will be with the Lord. He will wipe every tear from our eyes, where sin will be defeated, where tyranny will be overthrown, and things will be put right. And now as God's people, who God has spoken to in this most clear and visible way, knowing that we now live in light of that coming day here today. We receive inwardly this great confidence that we shall not be overcome. We shall overcome. I mean, every tear, every pain, every sorrow will be dealt with. That empowers us outwardly to start engaging in those acts to bring about and to point to this coming reality now, here, today, pointing forward in the assurance and certainty of hope. I wonder as God speaks to us today. As I was reflecting, I asked myself these questions since I will reflect them out to, to you as well to consider. For those ordinary people like us back then, us ordinary people today, as we respond to God's word, I wonder, is there anything in my past that I'm holding on to that I need to let go of as I walk forward? wonder what is it that we might be called to sacrifice here in the present? Seeking God's kingdom, seeking God's justice, pointing forward to this great day of hope. I wonder where I might have to adjust what I'm hoping for in the present. Is it things that are in step with the world or in step with God's purposes and kingdom? and the hope that he assures us of. Maybe this one. I wonder if God's asking us today and in this week, am I seeking the commendation of other people or the commendation of God that comes from faith? I think the preacher, as he encouraged his people then, would encourage us today the great encouragement that comes from the, the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we don't see, that like those who, who came before us, and let's take our place among the faithful. Let's join that, that roll call of God's people who walked out of step with the world and in step with God and His kingdom purposes. Let's step out, continue stepping out, Onto the stage of, of history, taking a place with those who heard God's word and obeyed, pointing others to this great king with his great hope. And it gives us a great insurance. Let's hear, let's obey, and perfectly assured of what we hope for and confident in the things we don't yet see. Amen.